Our text today is from Romans chapter 4. Uh, this will be 13 through 25. If you're using one of those blue Bibles that we have in the back, it's on page 941. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, you can always go to the table of contents. I have done that often to find where I'm at. So Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, but when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears to hear and our minds to understand your word to us. Let this living word speak to us and fill us with faith and inexpressible joy. We ask for this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is a letter written by Paul to uh, the church in Rome, hence the name Romans. For those of us who are newer to the Bible, I want to give you a note on the usage of some of the names that I will use here in this sermon. Abram and Abraham are the same man. Abram is what Abraham was called before God changed his name to Abraham. So I will say Abram sometimes and Abraham others, but know that I'm referring to the same man. So let me start with a question to you. Have you ever heard of something called the guilt complex? This is when a person feels perpetual guilt over the harm that they have caused or that they may have caused. They may not actually cause any harm at all, but they think that what they have done harmed someone or that what they will do or say in the future will cause someone harm. There's also something called the Christian's guilt complex, which holds to the same definition, essentially. A Christian suffers guilt from the sin that they commit or will commit. For some people, this can really interfere with their lives and bring them a deep despair. 
Usually there is a misunderstanding of what grace means in their lives versus what the law means to them. There are many times when this constant feeling of guilt, this constant worry can be projected outward towards others in a legalistic view of Scripture. Instead of love for others, there's a desire to see their flaws and their inability to measure up to the standards of Scripture. One famous Christian who we could describe as suffering from this Christian guilt complex is Martin Luther. Luther wrestled for years and years with the problem, God is holy and man is sinful. God is holy and man is sinful. So where does that leave us? Martin Luther would frequently fast, pray, and confess and yet he still would not find any peace. According to R.C. Sproul, Martin Luther was so confounded by this problem that he once cried out, Love God! Sometimes I hate Him. One day, Martin Luther was teaching through Romans to his theology class, and he came across Romans 1.17, which says, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It was then that Martin realized that salvation was not based on his own righteousness, which will always fail, but rather the righteousness of Christ that we realize and participate and grasp onto with faith. Many of us today can fit into the Christian guilt category. We can say all the right things. We may say that, yes, indeed, we are justified by faith. We can say that it's not anything that we do because we're all sinners after all. It's all God. But then we don't always live to this belief. We will look upon ourselves and have doubts. We have doubts because we are still struggling with sin. We're still trying to be and act holy. In this struggle, we might even find others whose sin is readily apparent. We might think or say something that isn't very Christ-like. Often we respond to sinners not with a loving correction, not with discipline that is designed to bring lost sheep back to the fold, but rather with a harsh rebuke, a condemnation. Sadly, this is often done to the image in the mirror. People can have this perpetual guilt. Luther did. How about you? Does the belief that you are justified by faith and not of your own merit govern your thoughts, your words, and your deeds? In our text today, Paul is explaining through God's covenant to Abraham how we are justified by faith, how we are declared innocent despite all that horrible stuff that we say and do and we continue to say and do. Paul explains how we are made righteous before God simply by faith. Paul is explaining the surety of God's promises, not ours. After all, we can promise so much and deliver on so little, especially when we are promising to God something like, Oh God, please forgive me. I will never do or say that again. We will struggle in trying to explain and to understand, and most importantly, we will struggle in trying to live out our faith in our salvation. 
God has ensured our salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, and that's just how it is. And so I have some points that I want you to remember. The first one is that Paul shows that the promise to Abraham came through faith. The second, Paul shows that the promise through faith is guaranteed. The third, the promise through faith increases our trust in God. And finally, this promise through faith is not just for Abraham, but us as well. Let's look at our first point. The promise to Abraham came through faith. Abraham, who is then called Abram, heard from God. God told him to pack up and move. He was 75 years old at the time, and he did just that. He packed up all of his possessions, all of his people, his wife, everybody, and moved to Canaan where God told him to go. God shows him the land that he wants to give to him. God changes his name, and he says to this now 99-year-old man, all this is yours, and your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. So let's try to imagine the image that is before Abraham as he steps out away from whatever campfire he happened to be at, out from whatever tent he had set up. And let's try to see what he saw. Have you ever seen the night sky unencumbered by light pollution? When I was in the Middle East some time ago, I was out in the middle of nowhere, no lights around at all. And I remember looking up and seeing that sky, the number of stars, it was absolutely beautiful. I'd never seen anything like that before. And I was simply awestruck at the number of stars that were out there. This is what God is telling Abraham. This is what he is seeing. This 99-year-old man, this man with his messy marriage, with his wife who is surely well past menopause, Abraham, who is looking at this impossible number of stars, hearing that his descendants will number that incredible view, something that is radically, incredibly impossible. God says to him, you will be the father of nations, and Abraham believed. God's word called to him. God's word initiated. Abraham believed. He trusted in God. How much faith do you have? If you are like me, you hope for this kind of faith. This old man, this man who had packed up all of his belongings, all of his business, and trekked off from his land of following God, trying to live up to what God has been telling him, him and his wife, trying to understand and discern. And if you can remember the story of Abram in Genesis, making a mess of things on their own. And now he is standing under that magnificent sky filled with stars, filled with the Milky Way, and he believed God and was justified in his faith. This is what Paul is telling the Romans in verse 13. How simple salvation is. It isn't because we earn it. This is because we do things on a list or collect items to possess or anything that we think is a bare minimum or a standard minimum. You must be this tall to ride the salvation coaster. No. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. After all, where was the law for Abraham to follow? 
To Paul's original audience, they do have the law. Well, they may know about the law in the case of any Gentiles present. The law of Moses has been around for some time. They've been trying and failing at this law, giving sacrifice, inventing ways around the law, trying to justify themselves in accomplishments, improving time and again their frustrating failure. So in verse 14, we have Paul explaining, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Paul is explaining that if it's simply about doing something, then why bother having faith in God? Shouldn't we be able to achieve some sort of state of nirvana? Shouldn't we be able to batter down the doors of heaven and declare our victory and triumph? Shouldn't we, can't we be just like God? The serpent has been trying to convince us of this and has often succeeded. What about Abraham? Paul says in verse 15, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Abraham was not given the law, instead he was given grace. So then what is the purpose of the law? According to Paul, the law is wrath. Without the law, we have no transgression. But is law given by God then not holy? Of course it is. So then this holy ordinance, the law, given by God, should lead us to salvation. However, we're all fallen creatures. Abraham was a fallen creature. We are incapable of reconciling ourselves to God. Adam, the head of all humanity, sinned and introduced death and corruption and guilt. The law only shows for us our absolute need for God. The law shows us our total depravity. Not that we can't sometimes do some things that the law requires, but that we can never fulfill the law in its entirety. One little slip is an abomination to God. That is why Paul says the law is wrath. It is our judgment. So Paul explains in verse 16, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. This does sound too good to be true, that the promise rests on faith. How can I know that my faith won't fail me? How can I know that the promise will not fail because of my lack of faith? Paul explains that this promise through faith is guaranteed. It is a promise. But it rests not on what we do, what we can or cannot do, because let's face it, we are incapable of fulfilling all that God wants us to do. There is no one who is righteous. No one, not one. There is nothing that is inside of us that we can rely on to lift ourselves up to the highest mountains to surpass that of the skies and mingle with those stars above to play with the hosts of the heavenly realms. To fulfill the law, we are simply not able to do that. Abraham wasn't able to do that either. 
God has promised something to Abraham and Sarah. The promise from God rests upon God. The promise rests upon that which has no reason to misrepresent. It rests upon something that isn't confusing. It's not a complex formula. It's not a hidden treasure that needs a map for discovery. It's not bound up in the complexities of ritual and laws. It's not given in trade. It's not up to Abraham and Sarah to try to force it into being. Abraham didn't trade or purchase. Abraham simply believed in the promise. The faith that was given to him, that is what made him righteous. He believed that God would make him that father of many. Abraham believed in spite of his withered and old self, in spite of the barrenness of Sarah's womb, in spite of the aged and tired and close-to-death bodies that they both possessed. Abraham believed. And so, Paul says, those who are adherents to the law, the nation of Israel, and those who simply believe, who share the God-given faith of Abraham, receive the promise that is built upon grace. The promise built on the one who fulfills the law, that fulfills the sacrifice that is required of the law for our infractions, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this is God-given faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. This is what the Word of God says. This is what it is said in the Old Testament, the Bible that the Hebrews referenced, the consistent message that has unfolded in history. Verses 17 and 18 say, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. God doesn't change his promises. He keeps them. God told Abraham he would be the father of many, and Abraham believed God. For whatever reason God had, God gave Abraham faith, and Abraham believed hope against hope. And I am sure Abraham wondered, why me? What have I done? I'm sure we have all asked ourselves such a question. Why me? What have I done? In fact... If you look at me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. So why Abraham? Why Israel? Why them? And why us? That is a fair question. How does God decide on who to save and who he should judge? It's a question that has been debated for centuries. To help us understand, I found a brief explanation in my extensive research. I, said, I told this to somebody here in this church, so uh, you will hear it again. But I got this from Barney Miller, uh, which is a 70s TV show about, um, <laughs> about a police detective squad. And Barney was given advice to one of his detectives, and it goes something like this. Do you know why the sperm whale, one of the largest predators of the ocean, has a throat that is only inches wide? That's just the way that it is. God is the creator of all things. 
That is something that we can scarcely quantify or imagine. Our minds are not capable of imagining the depth and breadth of creation. I don't think many of us realize how truly laughable we must be in our contemplation and understanding of the world around us to think that the one who is right now with us and also at the most furthest and distant star that our telescopes can see, that galaxy that only looks like a star in our most powerful telescopes, to think that God is there also? I yield to you that God can decide whatever he wants to decide. If he should grant mercy to something as small as me or you, I'm not going to balk at that. I'm going to rejoice. This brings us to our third point. This promise through faith increases our trust in God. Looking at verse 20, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Let us make no mistake in our understanding. God came to Abraham. God initiated the covenant. God issued the command to go forth. God declared him to be righteous. God gave Abraham his faith. Abraham was given this great gift, and he gave glory to God. And why shouldn't he? After all, isn't Abraham simply a man, a human, like we are? Didn't Abraham start out as we all do? Corrupted? Guilty? Incapable of reconciling ourselves empty of salvation? Yet when God called to old Abram, when he said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, old Abram believed. In his journey, God blessed and God cursed, and Abraham built altars to worship. The journey for Abram was still difficult. There were battles, but God upheld his promise, and Abram trusted God more and more. So when God tells Abraham 24 years later that he will be the father of many nations, Abraham doesn't look at his barren and elderly wife and say, impossible. He looks back toward God and says, praise the Lord. Abraham fully trusted in God. And as verse 21 says, he fully trusted in God and what he has promised. So aside from God, what or who do you trust? How did you get there? For many of us, trust did not come instantly. We had to build this trust over a period of time. We tell our friends secrets. We trust people will come to our dinner parties when they say they will. And then when they do what they say, well, that just confirms our trust in them. Abraham had 24 years of building trust with God. All the while, God never let him down. God never backed down from his promise. We need God. And as we experience life, we come to trust in that who has proven to be reliable. And so we get to our final point in Paul's work. This promise through faith is not just for Abraham, but for us as well. Verse 23 is explicit in setting this up. The words, it was counted to him, 
were not written for his sake alone, and then in verse 24, but for ours also. We should pause when we reflect on these words. We should simply take a moment. Let us not consider the law or sin or what we have done, what we did today already, or what we will do tomorrow. The Word of God that Paul is writing, explaining to those who are in Rome, those who are Jews and Gentiles alike, is saying something that is immensely and profoundly rich, better than any treasure found on earth. And yet it is as simple as that's just the way that it is. Paul says it was counted to him. Step away from the thought of inheritance, of earning a prize, of privilege, getting what is due, of balancing the scales, of speaking your truth, or looking inwardly for the power to restore. Paul says it was counted to him. Righteousness through faith. It was counted to him and to us. Because this was before the law of Moses, before the tabernacle was established with its ritual and purity and rules, its rules on how sacrifice is accomplished, on how people must do this and that to become clean, to be forgiven of the infractions of the law that they have committed, we see something that is truly important and wonderful. Grace. Abraham was declared free from the guilt of Adam's sin. This is what justification means. God, the judge of us all, declared that Abraham was no longer guilty. And that instead, he was righteous. A gift of grace given to him by God through faith. This is what is also given to us. As we see in the fullness of time, we too have been justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, from the pit of what we actually have earned, the cup of wrath, that which Jesus Christ has taken from us and then counted to us righteousness. Paul says it was counted to him and it was counted to us. Now what are you going to do about it? Righteousness comes from without. It comes from God. God reached out to Abraham, and Abraham believed. Abraham followed. Abraham trusted. He saw the promises fulfilled by God in his journeys, and his worship increased. As his worship increased, so did his faith. You also have a journey before you one that has been paved over with the blood of Jesus Christ, one where grace is before the law. Whatever that journey is, follow Jesus. As you go, love God and love the people who God puts in front of you, especially the one in the mirror. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus who shows us that grace fulfills the law and worship Him. Take confidence 
Not only that what you read in the Holy Bible, God's living word, but also in your day-to-day lives, the promise comes through faith, not through earning things. The promise is guaranteed. It is synergistic. The more faith that we have, the more we want to worship, to follow God, which helps us to build our faith and our trust in God. After Martin Luther had realized the meaning of being justified by faith and not by works, he reflected on his time spent worrying about his salvation, and he said this, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior and Comforter, and made of him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. Take these words of faith and live your lives in confidence that you are justified, saved, made holy, not because you have met some standard or accomplished a task or passed a test, earned a degree, but simply because God the Father has shown mercy upon you through His Son, Jesus, and rejoice in knowing that that's just the way that it is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word and Your promise. Help us to go out from here and live according to Your Word rejoicing in the promise you have given to us. Let our worship lead to greater faith and help us to share this promise with others. We ask for this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.